0: Last week, we started a series, uh, and we really kicked off the year with a new emphasis we've called Better Together. Maybe you saw the banner coming into the church this morning, and I really believe this is more than a sermon series. It's a vision that God has put in our hearts for this year, and the key to God doing what He wants to do in this church in 2017 is us wrapping our hearts and minds around this statement. We're better Together, And so as we get into the word today, I want to just encourage you uh, in this thought, again, of being better together. If you missed it, maybe you weren't here last week, part of the vision uh, that God has put in our hearts to make this happen, an announcement that we made last Sunday, was that um, we just brought, at the beginning of this year, we brought uh, Chris Merrill on staff, as our Connections Pastor for the church. So if you missed that last week, we're super excited. Yeah, so excited about having him on the team. And, you know, we don't even have an office set up for him yet, but we've had a great week. Just uh, We had an awesome staff meeting on Tuesday. He helped me on uh, Saturday with officiating the funeral service for Sister Doris Dellen. Which, by the way, maybe you saw the the flower arrangement back there in the back. Uh, that, was, that was given to us by her family. And we just wanted to have that displayed today for her honor. And uh, I, I'm just so encouraged by having Chris uh, on the team here. And so excited about what God is doing and wants to do in us as a church in this new year. Last week, I started with a statement and I just want to say this again. That God has something special that He wants to do in your life. And I believe it is directly connected to what He wants to do in this house. The work that God wants to do in your life is connected to what He wants to do in this house. We could say it like this. That God is at work in our house for your heart. And the opposite is true. God is at work today in your heart for this house when you're better we're better do you ever play on a team where somebody just got hot you know maybe it was a basketball team and then one person just gets on fire they just start and some of you are like I have no clue where you're going with this illustration but some of the guys are nodding with me some of the ladies are with me thank you when you're better we're better I think it was Michael Jordan that said uh, a good athlete can win a game, but a team wins championships. The reality is God is doing a work in our house for your heart, but he's also doing a work in your heart for this house. Many of you could quote the scripture in Romans 8.28 that says that we know in all things God works together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that in all things God works Can I just say to you this morning that some of the all things that God is working in my life is the work that God is doing in your life. And some of the all things for you is God's work in me. And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's why last Sunday we started this year with an emphasis on your personal devotion. We started last year with our last week with an emphasis on uh, reading the word of God. And if you didn't start a reading program this year, I want to invite you to do it. It's not too late. You can either download a Bible app or you can pick up a reading plan out there at the information center and make a personal commitment to read God's word this week and this year. And we started with a commitment to pray. As we've moved through this week of prayer, it's been a simple commitment to say, God, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And we said it like this. If you'll do the little things like they're big things, then God will do the big things like they're little things. God wants to build some momentum in your spirit life. And it comes with consistency. It comes with daily practice and daily commitment to Christ. I could show you a dozen illustrations this morning from God's Word of how one person's commitment to Christ had an impact on a whole community. I mean, we could go right down through the list. We could talk about Abraham and how he heard from God and he went to a land not knowing where he was going. We could talk about Moses and how in a personal time, uh, away from everyone on the backside of the wilderness, he had an encounter with the presence of God. We could go on and on through the word of God. How one person's, the work that God was doing in their heart affected the house. But I just want to give you two. Two references from scripture about what this looks like. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter number 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is a story when David had gone to battle with his men. They had gone down into the battle, but when they returned home, as they came over the horizon, they saw something that that sent fear coursing through their veins. They saw the smoldering of fire over their village. And as David and his men go running down into Ziklag, where they had lived they found all of their homes, all their property had been ransacked and stolen and everything had been burned to the ground. And and far worse than that, their wives and their children were gone. Everything was gone. And the Bible speaks about the heartache that they felt in that moment in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, So David and his men wept aloud... Until they had no strength left to weep. That is a powerful picture of sorrow. Can you imagine this? These men are heartbroken. And David just falls to his knees. And and he's down on the ground. And he's in the ashes. And he's weeping. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. And the Bible says the men began to look for someone to blame. As we tend to do. They began to consider stoning David. You're the one that led us out there to the battle. You're the one that led us to leave our wives and our kids vulnerable to an attack. It's your fault we're in this place. Look with me at verse 6. It says this, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But I want you to really key in on the last part of this verse it says, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. Can you imagine him there? He's, he's down on the ground and he's just weeping. His shoulders are slunk over and, and he's sobbing and everybody, as the Bible says, he wept bitterly, but soon something changed in David. Didn't change in anybody else, but in David, all of a sudden, those weary hands just begin to Turn upwards to God. And David just began to call out. He began to give God praise. He began to worship. He began to seek the face of Jesus. And the men are standing around him. Looking for a stone they can throw at his head. And all of a sudden they see his posture change. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And something shifted in his heart. That caused a chain reaction in the house of Israel. All of a sudden the men... The men begin to put their stones down. David begins to stand to his feet. He begins to give them a plan. All of a sudden, he begins to rally them and they start following his lead once again. And they go out and they pursue the enemy. And they recover their wives. They recover their children. And on top of that, God blesses them with the plunder of the enemy. One man's personal encounter with God turned an army's bitterness into their blessing. God wants to work in your heart for the sake of the house. Let me tell you about another biblical example. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. There's a a scripture in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, that we're going to look at in just a moment. But this is a time when Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's been with His disciples for three and a half years. He's about to go to Calvary and and, and everyone can feel the tension in the air. I mean, you, you could cut it with a knife. It was, it was a tense moment in their relationship. And, and this is the time where the disciples were really, they had their mind in the wrong place. They had been arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they really missed the significance of the moment. But it was in that time that Jesus begins to tell them, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to forsake me. And look at this verse with me. Verse 31 in Luke 22 says, Simon, Simon, this is Jesus speaking. Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But, he said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Those two verses right there, Give us another snapshot of how significant Simon Peter's personal relationship was with God. To the whole of God's plan. Jesus looked at Peter at another time and he said, You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And then here in his final hour Jesus says, All of you, all of you are going to be sifted. The devil has sought to sift all of you like wheat. But I prayed for you Peter. Now, and I don't know why he didn't say I prayed for all of you. He said the devil's going to sift all of you, but I prayed for you, Peter. And when, when you are strengthened, I want you to strengthen everyone else. Can you imagine what it would have been like if Peter had not been strengthened in that moment? I mean, I, I don't know what would've, God would have done. It's all speculative. But but we can read from Scripture that Peter was absolutely the key player in the establishment of the church. He was the leader. In the church, in that era. And it was because, did he fail? Yes, he failed. Just like everybody else. Did he deny Jesus three times? Yep, we all know that story. But the reality is, Jesus said, I, I prayed for you. So that even though you're imperfect, and even though you're going to deny me, and even though you're going to fail, I want you to strengthen yourself. Because I need you to go back, and I need you to strengthen your brothers. God wants to do a work in your heart. For the house. What you do in your personal, private devotion life, it matters. And I'm going to give you another example, but this third one is is not from Scripture. I want to give you an example of how private devotion to God can impact a multitude of people. But this one, this one comes from right here in this church. As Chris mentioned earlier, and as I mentioned a few moments ago, we had the funeral service for Doris Dellen yesterday. Doris was an awesome woman of God. If you can enjoy doing a funeral, hers would be one you could enjoy doing. It was so easy to preach her funeral. Her life itself preached. It was so awesome. Everybody that stood up and talked about her, talked about her her faithfulness to God. They talked about how generous she was and how much of an encourager she was and, and how much she impacted them. In every way, as a woman of faith, and a person who was faithful to God, a person who trusted God, no matter what she was facing. And and what was so unique about the service yesterday is I did something that I've never done at a funeral before. Back in September of this past year, Doris was in the hospital at LGH, and and I went to see her. Now, I've never done this before. And for all the hospital visits I've had since then, I've never done this again. But that day, I just felt prompted in my spirit because Doris was such an encourager. I mean, she was, she, I would go to pray for her and she would encourage me. That's just the way it was. So I just felt prompted in my spirit that day to, to get my phone out and just record our conversation. So we just sat there in the hospital back in September and at that time, she had already been discharged and she was just waiting to get a ride home and she felt good and she was full of life and we just talked. She told me what to do at the funeral whenever that day comes and she said, but you know, God's not ready for me to yet. He's still got work for me to do here. And, and we just talked and, and she shared. And so yesterday, Doris helped me preach her own funeral because I took a couple of the clips from the service and I, I, I let her speak for herself. And in the conversation that I had with Doris in the hospital back in September, she revealed the secret to what everybody could testify to. She revealed the secret to her consistency. And I want you to just hear a little bit of that testimony this morning. Go ahead. So
1: I'm by myself a lot and and i think god god made it that way because i'm closer to him than i ever was than i ever was because the other when i was younger i was busy doing busy busy you know how you give in to that oh it's got to be done this gotta
0: be done no
1: it don't
0: Well, I've taken those words to heart because you speak from a place of wisdom and experience. Yeah. And it's true that all of us, we get so busy. But that's the truth. We get so busy and,
1: yeah.
0: and you know, Jesus, his question echoes to all of us. Could you not tarry with me one hour? One,
1: uh, one hour. Just one hour.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing more important yeah. than that. I don't
1: know. Right now... I must be reading four or five different parts of the Bible. I read I read parts of, where am I? Ezekiel, that's hard. Mm. That is, that's tough reading. And I, I'll read something, I'll say, well, I don't even understand what I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand what I'm reading. Give me the wisdom I need. Yes. So that I have the knowledge I need to pray right. And uh, it's, it's really, people don't understand. They, they don't realize. It's so wonderful to be close to God and to hear His voice and to let Him, the Spirit lead you and guide you You know, you don't have to get yourself all befuddled over things, just ask him and he'll show you. That's the way it is. Yeah. It's not hard, it's it's easy. Once you're you're really close to him. It's easy. Like I said, he's my (laughs) bud. Yeah, he is. He's my buddy, he's my friend.
0: Praise God. What a testimony. God has something special He wants to do in your heart. And it's going to impact this house. And when we learn to walk close to Jesus like Doris did, it really is that easy sometimes. The Bible says that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And can I tell you what God wants to do in your heart? It's not just for this house. It's not just about the church. It's about your family. It's about your your coworkers. It's about your kids. When you spend time in God's presence, when God does a work in your heart and in your life and in your personal relationship with Him, you're easier to live with. Come on, say amen. You're easier to deal with on Monday morning at the job site or in the office. When you've spent time with God, when you've come away from all of the noise and all of the stuff of life, His doors would say, busy, 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 busy. And here she was at 89 years old looking back saying, you know what? All that busyness, the most important thing is Jesus getting in his presence, hearing his voice, hearing his heart, clearing away the distractions and the noise. <clears throat> I had a conversation this week with an old friend of mine. A man that I looked up to, a man that, uh, a godly man, faithful man, I hadn't talked to him in Few years, and he called me, wanting help, needing prayer. His marriage was in trouble. He was considering leaving his wife. The first question I asked him, I said, How's your relationship with the Lord right now? And I wasn't at all surprised by his answer. It's not good. It's not good. I'm going to tell you. God wants to do a work in your heart that's going to affect your house. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your your relationship with everyone else around you. And when we get the first thing right, it's, it's like the vest button principle. You ever worn a vest? Maybe for a homecoming or for a wedding. And there's like 20 buttons on that thing and they're all super tiny. The vest button principle is this. Get the first one right. <laughs> that's it. Get the first one right and the rest is going to work. But if you start somewhere in the middle, you're in for disaster. And we got to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what I'm saying this morning. Keep the main thing the main thing. Get your priorities right. Other people are depending on you. You know, it's funny. We call it our personal devotions. Because they're quiet and they're our own thing. But I want to promise you that your personal devotions are going to have a public impact. They really will. I I want you to look with me at a scripture in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We actually went to 1 Corinthians 12 last week, but a different portion of scripture (coughs) that's there in the text. Because I want to challenge you today for a few moments to not only make a fresh commitment to your... Personal devotion this year with prayer and with Bible study and all of those things, but also to make a A personal a public commitment To your public devotion Here's what I found out is true You can't be saved and not be a part of the church Now listen, i'm not saying if you don't attend church that you're not saved whether you attend or not, what I'm saying is you can't be saved and not be a part of the church. It's kind of like your physical, uh, natural family. You didn't get to choose if you were born into a family with siblings or not. You, you just, you were just born into the family. And, and in the spirit realm, we use the, the same terminology that Jesus used in John chapter 3 when he said a man must be born again. And when you're born again, guess what? You're born into a family. You have siblings, <coughs> so you can't you can't say I, I'm not a part of the church. If you're saved, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you were born again into a family with other children. And the Bible talks about some issues in First Corinthians twelve that that Paul was dealing with with the church. They had some misunderstandings about spiritual gifts. They had misunderstandings about the way the church was going to function. And one of the issues that he had to deal with was the perception that some people had that they didn't need anybody else. That they could just, you know, they could just have their own relationship with God and there was no need for anybody else. And Paul is addressing that issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's addressing the issue of people trying to say it's okay to just worship in isolation all the time. As long as, you know, it's me and Jesus. And here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 21. And I want to I read down through verse 27. Paul, speaking metaphorically of the church, says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, I figured that out again this week. I had a a fingernail on my pinky that got off in the quick and I pulled it. You ever done that before? And it started bleeding from way down in the quick. Man, the small parts are indispensable. (laughs) Not once this week did I say, man, you know, my pinky's having a rough week. It was me. Having a rough week. Yeah, I know I'm being a big baby, but Paul said the small parts that seem weaker are indispensable. I'm just saying amen to what Paul said. They're indispensable. Look at the next verse, 23. The parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts... They need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. How many of you know he's talking about the church right now? If one part suffers, he says, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he makes it really clear in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. So listen, while we need to practice our personal devotion of seeking God in prayer and, and studying His Word, we also need to make a fresh commitment to our public devotion, to our coming together with other believers, the way we are right now, and, and worshiping together. Because listen, we are stronger when we're together. Amen? We're stronger when we're together. Last week I said together doesn't mean just sitting in the same room, sitting on the same row. If we're really going to tap into what the Bible talks about when it talks about the body of Christ being together, that means we're going to have to, in a relational sense, bend these rows into circles. What I meant by that is that we can't really be strong together by staring at the back of each other's heads. We have to look each other in the eye. We have to build significant and lasting Christian community together. Solomon said it like this. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4, look at this on the screen. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And then he said this, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity the one who has no one to help them up. You know, the truth is we, we, we like anonymity. We like space. We like margin. We like things to be unknown. Because it's clean that way. It works that way. But what I've discovered is that discipleship, on the other hand, is messy. Discipleship is complicated because discipleship requires relationship. Jesus didn't say, attend my Sunday school class for three and a half years and I'll make you disciples of all nations. He said, follow me. That was the invitation. Let's do life together. That's what he was saying. He said, you come and and walk where I walk, work where I work, sleep where I sleep. Let's eat the same meals together. Let's journey together. And that's the invitation of discipleship. It's a relationship. And relationships can be messy at times. But the reality is that's what Christ has called us to. Now tomorrow, there's another funeral we're going to be attending. And it's a funeral for a, a young man that was in this church on numerous occasions. And he passed away this last week from a drug overdose. how I wish I could have helped him. I didn't even know he had an issue with drugs. Now, I understand that people have to want help, but how many times, I wonder, have people come into God's house hurting and in need of help, in need of of answers, and, and we don't We don't want to risk vulnerability, so we choose anonymity and we we don't tell anybody. We don't talk about the struggle. We don't reach out for anyone to help us. And pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Listen, there's no perfect people here. But if you're here today and you're struggling in an area of your life, whether it's some kind of a substance addiction or maybe it's emotional bondage or, or or sexual bondage or whatever it might be, if there's an area of your life where you're struggling, don't come in and go out and just do another Sunday and not experience the, the grace and the strength that is available to you in the body of Christ. It's available to us, but there is a risk involved, a relational risk, a vulnerability that we tend to want to push back from, and I'm gonna tell you why. We all tend to push back from it. It's the sinful nature. It's the sinful nature. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, and you see Adam and Eve. The Bible describes the Garden of Eden as a place where they walked in the cool of the day with God. The Bible says this they were naked and they knew no shame. That's just a a picture of the innocence of life without sin. But what was the first thing they did after they had sinned? After they had eaten the fruit that God said not to eat from? The first thing they did, the Bible says, is they went and they sewed fig leaves together and they made clothes to cover their nakedness. That's what the sinful nature does. It brings shame and humiliation. Where there was once innocent, now there's guilt. Guilt and all of a sudden Adam and Eve are clothing themselves but do you remember what God did God God didn't come and expose them and humiliate them no the bible says that God went and he made garments for them from animal skins it's the first place in in the history of creation that we have a record of bloodshed the first death that we know of. God sacrificed an animal to make better garments for Adam and Eve. To cover them. To restore their dignity. Again, can I just tell you this morning, because maybe you're here and, and, and you're you're held up. And you're not opening up to anybody. And nobody knows your struggle. Listen, the testimony of the church is not, we have nothing to hide. The testimony of the church is, we've been given better garments. We've been clothed with grace that God would would send His Son Jesus to represent that animal that we saw in Genesis. It was just a foreshadowing of Jesus coming as the Lamb of God. He was sacrificed and the Bible says we have been robed in His righteousness. God clothed us with better garments. So hear me today. If you're here and, and, and you're not willing to risk vulnerability because you're afraid of, of the sideways glances or the judgment or the accusation. Listen, we're all, every Sunday, guilty of falling into the same pattern of putting on our Sunday best, when in reality it's just the latest fashion of fig leaves to cover the nakedness in our own soul. Is anybody hearing me this morning? There's a work that God wants to do in your heart. And there's a work that he wants to do in this house. And it starts with a personal commitment, a personal devotion. But it also has to include a public devotion. A willingness to come together to be the body of Christ. To encourage one another. I mentioned to you last Sunday that there's 59 places in the New Testament alone. (coughs) Where the Bible gives us one another statements about how we're supposed to act with one another, how we're supposed to interact with one another as the body of Christ. One of those commands says this, do not slander one another. It means it's unbiblical for us to, to see the weakness and the vulnerability in others and to slander them for that. Let me read this verse to you out of James chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. We we need to be reminded of, of these strong words today that when we speak against a person, we're actually speaking against the law and we're trying to judge the law. Here's the problem with that. He goes on to say in verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And it's the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Too often we've, maybe personally you've experienced what it feels like to have somebody else push God off the mercy seat. And become judge, jury and executioner in your own life. And if you felt that before... The tendency is to recoil and say, I'm not going there again. I'm not going to show anybody my weaknesses. I'm not going to show anybody my vulnerability. And we make that grave mistake of walking away from the strength that is ours through the church of Jesus Christ. And we spend the rest of our days sewing grass skirts together and play in church. But the word is for the church. We can't slander. We can't. We can't Give sideways glances to, to the mistakes in other people's lives. We're, we're called by God not to pick the fig leaves off of each other's outfits, but we're called by God to help each other when one of us falls. Pity the one who has no one to help them when they fall. There's another one another in the scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, he says. Do not be proud. Live in harmony with one another. That's what God's called us to do. To stick together so that we can encourage each other. I heard a story uh, this past week of, of uh, a fisherman who invited his friend to go fishing with him. And even though the guy couldn't swim at all, he decided to go ahead and go. So he gets into the boat, and they go out from the shore a little way. And pretty soon, the non-swimmer catches a big fish, and he starts reeling it in. And he's excited, and he's fighting, and loses his balance, and he falls in to the lake. So all of a sudden, the fisherman goes over to the edge of the boat to help him. And the guy's flailing his arms. And he's, 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 help me, help me. I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And so he reaches down and he just grabs him by the hair and he pulls him up. But to his surprise, his hair came off. His friend had a toupee and he didn't know about it. So he throws the hair down in the boat. He reaches back over and he grabs the man by the arm. And lo and behold, he pulls the prosthetic arm right off of the man. Man's still flailing and screaming the whole time and so he goes back down and he reaches deep into the water and he grabs a leg. And I, I know this story's true because I got it off the internet. And the wooden leg just comes right off in his hand. So there's this man with no arms and legs, we'll call him Bob, floating in the water. And he says, help me! Help me, I'm drowning. Finally, the fisherman so frustrated. He says, how can I help you if you won't stick together? (laughs) And as stupid as that story is, I think that maybe Jesus would say the same thing to the church sometimes. How can I help you if you won't stick together? I already have helped you. When you were born again, you were born into a family. I surrounded you with my sons and with my daughters to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you in your time of need. That's what God wants for this church. That's what He wants for your life. But we have to stick together. We have to stick together. Listen, God is at work in your heart for this house. He's at work in my heart for this house. The things that God is doing in me are for your good and vice versa. But we have to stick together. Have you ever seen a, an Amish barn raising? You ever, ever seen one of those where, you know, I read an article a few years ago. I think it was in Ephrata, maybe several years ago. But there was a an Amish barn that had gone down and uh, it burned to the ground. And by the that was like on Friday, and by Monday it was back up again. Maybe some of you remember that that story. But it's amazing how they do this. I want you to look at this because this is a picture of what Jesus wants for the church. I want you to see this video. Go ahead and play that. This was a time-lapse video of of a barn raising out in Ohio. And as I watched that, I saw a plan, a very clear plan that somebody had put in place. And I saw unity and I saw organization and each member doing its part. This is a picture of 1st Corinthians 12. Each member doing its part. And as you look at that, I just want you to hear what the word of God says to us in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. It says therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact you are doing. That's what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. We're supposed to build each other up. Encourage one another in the work. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 24, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And then Paul said this, Do it all the more as you see the day Approaching. We're called to encourage one another. To build each other up. And I want to promise you, when we build each other up, when we encourage one another, when we work together, there is no limit to what God can do in and through His church. Amen? Here's the thing. We underestimate God's ability to work through us collectively. And we tend to overestimate our own ability to get things accomplished. But if we'll pull together, if we'll work with one another, God will do something incredible. But it starts with a personal devotion and then a public devotion. And I want to challenge you today in those two areas. You know, there's an African proverb that says this. It says, When you run alone, you run fast. But when we run together, you run far. What do you want? You want to go fast? Or you want to go far? Because we could probably all look back and see people that at one time were running fast. And today they're not running at all. They they burned out. They gave up. They backslid. They quit the faith. They were running alone. God wants us to encourage one another to work together. As we get ready to end this service, uh, (coughs) I... I'm going to share one more story from Doris's life because she understood the impact of what it meant to be a part of the body of Christ. She understood the impact of what it meant to know the family of God and to be encouraged by the family of God. And so I want to show you one more little video clip uh, from the end of our conversation back in September. And then I want to pray for you.
1: Now I do have my down days, sure, and I'll say, Man God, I feel down to that. Yeah. You know. I don't know what's going on. I don't I don't know why I feel this like 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 a heavy load's on me. Yes. You know. And the first thing you know, he'll send somebody in to visit me. <laughs> now I know it's him. Yeah.
0: Well, can I pray with you? Oh, please. Let's do it. Please, please, please. God wants to send people in your time of need. We're better together. I want to challenge you today. We're going to pray all over this room. I want to invite you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes and before we pray about the public devotion, I want to challenge you in your personal relationship with God. If you're here today and and you're not serving the Lord, you're here today and maybe verbally you would even call yourself a Christian, a believer. But it's been nothing more for you than just A name tag. You you don't know Jesus right now as the leader of your life. You don't know him as as your friend. You can know him today in that way. Whether you've never known him before. Maybe you've just gotten busy, busy, busy. And you haven't slowed down enough to spend time with him. If you feel far from Jesus today... He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. I want to invite you to just come back to the cross. Come back to maybe that moment where you you knew you had Him. Maybe it was at an altar. Maybe, Maybe it was in the church. But in your spirit, hear Him calling you today. He's drawing you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you as friend to friend. So if you're here today and you say, I...